With that being said, let's step into our message this evening. Our message is coming from the pages of the Bible. Yes, we are going to look at a passage of Scripture and see some good news, my friends. Specifically, we're going to look at a passage that captures the Christmas story. Uh, A fellow by the name of Matthew wrote this version of the story down for us. So we're going to read it with one clear goal in mind. I want to be up front. I'm from Jersey. We don't mess around. We tell you up front how we really feel. Well, to be perfectly frank with you, our single goal is this. To see the good news of Christmas. That we together as a group of people here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, can see the good news of the Christmas story, the unique way in which Jesus Christ was born into this world, that we can see that good news together. Now we need a strategy to pull this off. Of course, I'll read the text to you, but then we're going to spend our time doing something a little bit challenging. In fact, I need your help. Will you help me? Sure. Good. I love it. I need your help because we're going to look at this Christmas story from two different perspectives. I'm going to ask you all to take your 2016 Grand Rapidian perspectives and then put it outside the cold there for just a little bit. It'll be okay, I promise. And then we're going to look at this Christmas story first through the lens of when it happened. We are going to try to see this story the way that a fellow named Joseph, a participant in the Christmas story, would have experienced it and saw good news for himself. And then second, we are going to do our best to see it from another perspective. We're going to try to hear the good news of Christmas from the perspective as the first audience would have heard Matthew's version for the very first time. Are you with me? All right, the kids are in. I love it. Okay, folks, without further ado, let me read to you Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. That's Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And in our tradition here at Crossroads, I would like to invite you to stand as you are able. All right, here we go. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Here it is. Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Matthew, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and birth, give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife 
But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Folks, you may be seated. So after reading that passage to you, it seems quite clear that this is being told through the perspective of Joseph. Right? If you want to hear Mary's version, uh, just go a couple of blocks down the street of the New Testament to Luke, and you can see that there. But tonight, we're going to see the Christmas story through the lens in which Joseph would have saw it as it happened. And so let me give you a little bit of background. Here it is. Joseph is engaged to, engaged to a gal named Mary. And back in those days, engagement was far more intense than it is today. Back then, it would have started like this. Joseph's family would have sought out the perfect bride for their, for their son. They found Mary. They would pay Mary's family a bridal price. Then some formal documents would be signed by all the parties and witnessed to. And then he'd have a year-long engagement process before the big day. The day in which they would celebrate their marriage together. And then they'd have kids and a home and all that good stuff. Our story takes place somewhere in that year-long engagement process. Some scholars suggest it's about three to four months after it was started. And it's here that we discover the first thing about Joseph. Joseph. And this is it. Joseph is a good guy. He's a good guy. Our text says he's faithful to the law. That means he knew that purity before marriage from the Old Testament was an important thing for him to commit to. So when Mary told him, hey Joseph, I'm pregnant, he knew it wasn't his child. Because he follows the rules. This good guy follows the rules. Here's another example. Back in Joseph's day, the religious leaders had a rule, hard and fast. If your fiance gets pregnant with somebody else, you must divorce her. Our text says, Joseph decided in his head to divorce her. Joseph is a good rule follower. But that's not the only reason why he's a good fella. He's a good guy because he has compassion. He absolutely does. He has compassion because he recognizes by divorcing this gal named Mary, that's going to put her in a really tough place to be a single mom back then. I mean, it's tough to be a single mom in any time in history, but back then it was incredibly difficult. So if he divorces her quietly, so no one really knows when it happens, this would give Mary a chance to get a plan together to kind of eke out an existence for her and her new baby. So Joseph, my friends, is a good guy. And like any good person, guy or gal, doesn't matter, he realizes that before he pulls the trigger on this decision, he needs to take a big step back. You ever have like a big decision to make in life? Instead of jumping right in and doing it, you like, whoo, I need a breath here. And then you make the decision. Well, Joseph goes home and takes a nap. That's how he takes a step back, is he goes home and takes a nap. And while sleeping... Something incredibly strange occurs. Here it is. He has a dream. And in that dream, an angel of God comes to him. That's not strange. For Joseph, 
a good student of the Old Testament, he knows that through dreams, God does speak. So he's not weirded out by the dream. He's weirded out by this. The angel tells him that what's in Mary's belly is conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Mary? I mean, we don't have this in our text, but there's a good chance that Joseph would have been like, what? How is this possible? I mean, they didn't have a developed view of the Holy Spirit as we do in this time in history of the church. But how is God's Holy Spirit, God himself, the creator, somehow coming down to become one of the created? That makes no sense. How does this above us God, this God that's high and above us, that dwells above us, that comes to us through tabernacles, through temple, through covenants, the Ark of the Covenant speaks through prophets and priests. How is this above us God somehow going to become one of us? This would have confused Joseph. The fog starts to lift. As the story continues, the fog starts to lift because the angel tells Joseph something that's really helpful for him to hear. The angel gives Joseph a name for the child and a purpose for the child. Name and a purpose. Here's the name. Call him Jesus. Yeshua, which means God saves or God is salvation. Purpose. This is where things start to get a little interesting for Joseph. This so where he starts to lean in on this dream a little bit more. The angel says he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is a first century Jew. Like any good first century Jewish person, he would know that sin is equal to bondage. I'm talking chains. I'm talking being enslaved to something. And as a good first century Jew, he knew that this meant, this meant being set free. That whatever this child is, or whoever this child's going to be, this child is going to set us free. Friends, if you know the story of the Old Testament, I'm sorry to bore you with this, but for 400 some years, these Israelite people, Joseph's very own people, have been in bondage for a very long time. There's these Babylonians, there's these Greeks, there's these Persians, and now there's these Romans sitting in Jerusalem calling all the shots. They were in bondage, literally. And the reason why they were in bondage was because of their sin. God continually spoke to the Israelites from time and time again, saying, stop treating those widows and orphans so terribly. Stop being so greedy. Love your neighbor. Don't worship other gods. And because of their sin, they were in bondage. So Joseph is starting to come out of this confusion in his dream and going, whoa, this is significant. But yet, it's not the good news. It's not. When the angel quotes an Old Testament passage of the Bible, this thing from Isaiah, that part where it says, hey, this virgin will give birth to a son, that son will be called Emmanuel, that's when things start to become good news for Joseph. That's when the good news starts to kick in, my friends. Because it's in that very moment that he realizes that this goofed up relationship between the Israelites, his very own people, and this God that chose them was going to be repaired. Have you ever had a relationship that's not the way it's supposed to be? If you're a person, I'm sure you have. But whenever you have a relationship that's not the way it's supposed to be, it's all messed up because someone does something wrong 
It's kind of lonely. Joseph and his mates had a level of loneliness because that once intimate relationship with the one and true living God that called them for the purpose wasn't the way it was intended to be. And here is this angel telling him, Hey, Joseph, here's some good news for you and for your Jewish sisters and brothers. I am coming to be with you. Or how about it this way? Hey, Joseph, you are not alone. My friends, this is the good news that Joseph would have heard in this passage. He would have heard the good news that he and his mates were no longer alone. That that once severed, garbled up relationship was about to be repaired and they were going to be set free from the bondage that held them back for so long. They could live the way that they were made to be. This is good news. You know why I know it's good news? Because our text says Joseph woke up from his nap. And the very first thing that he did, the very first thing is he broke the rules. As a rule breaker, I appreciate other rule breakers. Now you're going, man, I shouldn't have brought my kids tonight. But he broke the rules. Instead of divorcing Mary, he immediately grabs her, jumps on a plane, and flies to Vegas, and marries her on the spot to obey what this angel told him to do. Because he knows that this child is God with us. That this child is in fact good news for all of us who are lonely and our relationship with God is not the way that it was intended to be. Joseph was compelled to do something that he normally would not do because of good news. Okay, I promised two perspectives. Joseph's number one, now here's number two. Number two is, There's a group of people, not so much unlike all of us gathered here today, but a group of people from a long time ago. To help you know where they are historically, let's pretend Joseph is right here. Baby Jesus right here. Okay? We hit the historical fast-forward button. Bink! We go 60 to 70 years past the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's this early church movement blowing up all over the world. And then this is the cast of characters that Matthew is writing this Christmas story to. This group of people, most likely Jewish Christians, who were starting to struggle, who were starting to have some doubts. A group of people who needed some good news. And it was in that very moment that they would have heard this Christmas story. How I know they needed this good news, friends, is historians tell us that these Jewish Christians were starting to be marginalized from their Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, Up to this point, they were allowed to worship in these places called synagogues. If you know what they are, that's great. But they are these buildings, kind of like church buildings, in towns away from Jerusalem. These epicenters for Jewish uh, faith and relationships. It's a place where they worshiped, they prayed, they interpreted the Torah, they Uh, settle legal affairs. They did life together. They served the poor in these places. And all of a sudden, these Jewish Christians were starting to get pushed out of the synagogue. They were being removed from their friends and their family because they believed in Jesus. 
Let me help you understand what that's like for us today. Uh, we are in Michigan, and football is a big deal here, I'm learning really fast. And if you are a, a Michigan college sports fan, it's probably okay to be in the same building with each other, right? Michigan fans, Michigan State fans, uh, Western Michigan fans. But if you have a party of football fans in Michigan, and an Ohio State Buckeye fan comes in, y'all are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Spartans are okay, uh, Western, oh, they're undefeated, but you're a Buckeye. Yeah, they got to go somewhere else, right? In a much different way, the Jewish Christians were being pushed out of these synagogues. And they're starting to wonder, <laughs> is the truth of Jesus really true? We're losing a big part of our identity and our lives here. We are a worshiping community that is no longer in the synagogue, but we are across the street from it. This is when they heard the Christmas story. And they specifically heard that Old Testament passage I already referred to, a passage that comes from the book of Isaiah, right? 700 years earlier, where the word Emmanuel pops up. Emmanuel, God with us. In its original context, the word Emmanuel was just a good news sign, okay? Here's the quick context of that passage. I'll do it as fast as I possibly can. Uh, 700 years before Jesus, there is a group of folks in Jerusalem, and they still have a king there in Jerusalem. And there's these two mighty military forces about to converge on top of Jerusalem and wipe it out. Enslave whatever Jewish folks survive and take all the goods, This is a dark moment in Israelite history. And it was in that very moment that this guy named Isaiah, a prophet, he stands up in the midst of all this and he looks at the king and everybody else and he says, this virgin, this young woman, she will give birth to a child. That child will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. This is a sign of good news. That meant the king would have a successor. That means the kingdom would continue on for at least another generation. This was a sign of good news. For Matthew's audience, it was even better news. Because what they heard was, Jesus isn't a sign of good news. Jesus is the good news. He is the fulfillment of God with us. Friends, Jesus is the Holy Spirit bringing Jesus down to earth to live, to die, and to rise again to set us free. This was good news for Matthew's original audience, the people that heard the Christmas story for the first time. And how we know it's good news once again, my friends, is they were a part of that early church movement that we always look back so fondly on. That movement that, what what does Acts 17 say? That they flipped the world upside down. The way that they loved each other, sacrificing their time, money, and energy. The way that they were unified in the unique way that they loved Jesus. And oh, how they served the poor in their communities. Christianity spread like wildfire because these folks were a part of a movement that actually believed in the good news that Jesus is God with us. Friends, Jesus is, <laughs> Emmanuel is the good news that casts away all of our doubts. So here we are. Our 2016 selves are outside, outside freezing Let's bring them back inside. Let's slip on our Sorrells and our Patagonias again 
And let's look at this passage and ask one simple question. How is it good news for us today? It's so good to see what this passage meant in its original context. The then and the there. But what about right now? We are yearning to understand how is the Christmas story good news for us? Well, here's a couple stabs and an answer to that question. Let's look at Joseph for just an example. He was a good guy. He followed all the rules. He was confused by this whole God incarnation thing. But he was lonely. He and his people were lonely. They were yearning for that one strong relationship with God. My friends, some of us gathered here tonight might be struggling with loneliness. Did you know that Time Magazine recently wrote an article that said the epidemic of loneliness? There's 60 million of us in this country right now that are struggling with long-term loneliness. And I can only imagine, if you're like me, that the holidays is a tough time. There are friends and family that I love so dearly that are no longer with us. That brings about a sense of loneliness that hurts. And then there's some of us that are gathered here that this loneliness goes way deeper than losing a loved one or a friend. My friends, Christmas is good news that we are not alone. That God is in fact with us. Our relationship with him has been restored. Another way that we can see the good news for us today from this Christmas story is just following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus costs everything. And it comes with hardship and affliction. Just like that early church that heard the Christmas story for the very first time. I trust that some of us here have made some very hard choices to follow Jesus. It's cost us our money, our time, our energy, maybe even health. And because of that, maybe we even have some doubts, some uncertainties. Have you ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? Or how about Charles Spurgeon? John Calvin? They struggled with these kinds of doubts. I'll go ahead and raise my hand. In 2016, I went through the darkest night of my soul. Way before I met you all, I struggled with doubt. I mean, my whole life has been orientated about following Jesus, willing to sell it all for him, my wife too. Go anywhere he wants us to go, even New Jersey. Some of you laugh. You must have been there. But it was in 2016 that I was a part of the perfect plan, my friends. The perfect plan to move from New Jersey and plant a church in the West Coast. This thing was locked tight. There was resources. There were people. Everything was lined up for the great opportunity to see a new gospel movement in a new way. I was beyond excited. Coming here, you're excited too. Coming here was going to be this chance to rest and prepare for this exciting thing. And guess what? Right before our partners were going to receive us, they told us that we couldn't come. I didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed by hurt and affliction, but more importantly, it was the one time in my Christian journey that I actually doubted, God, what are you calling us into? Are you even real? And it was in that very moment that I saw... The good news of Christmas. 
Yes, it was in that dark night of the soul that I saw the good news of God with us. Perhaps if you read Matthew, you also know that Jesus says this, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Some of the people in this room were the concrete God with me in that moment. They came to me. They held me. They hugged me. They wept away my tears. They prayed with me. They met some of my concrete needs, loved my kids. Friends, if you're following Jesus and you're discovering how hard it is, and it's producing some level of doubt or uncertainty, here is good news. God is with us. And the good news of God with us means he overcomes all of our doubts. I was going to make a different connection to end our time together about how the good news compels us to do risky things, like Joseph, like the early church, But instead, I think it's more important just to try to look at one simple question. Here it is. Why does God come down? Why did he come down? Why did he come down in this Emmanuel, God with us way? Love. Love. God loves us in a way where he doesn't ask for anything in return. God just loves us. And of course, when we know that that love is true, then we are willing to give it all to follow him. But if you doubt whether or not the reason why God sent his son into this world because of love, well, there's this famous little verse that you see at football games all the time. There's a guy lifting it up on a post. It's John 3.16. And it captures it so wonderfully where it says, For God so loved the world that he sent gave his only son. Friends, Christmas is good news. Would you please pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you for the unique way that you love us, and we thank you for the unique way that you came to be with us. And we thank you that we get to gather together to celebrate this good news, this good news of Christmas. And now we just pray together that we will be able to enjoy the gifts, the food, and the time with friends and family, but also be reminded oh so clearly of you and what you did to come down to be with us. We thank you for folks like Joseph and Matthew's audience who lived this out so long ago, but now we just thank you for the unique way that you gather us together to live it out now. And more importantly, we thank you for the love, your love that we see on the cross where you die. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.